title of the message is The Status Trap. And we all kind of maybe spent a moment thinking about the status in this world and the status of others. But in the book of Acts, the fifth chapter, verse 1 through 4, we see a picture here. And maybe you've read this story before. And it talks about two individuals primarily that as the church is now received the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we see that the Holy Spirit is moving through Jerusalem and Judea and, and the uttermost parts of the world. And so these two individuals are now engaging in community and engaging in the church. And in the book of Acts, the fifth chapter, verse 1 through 4, and this is what it reads from the King James Version. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Did it not belong to you anyway? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart, that thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God? So the title again of the message, The Status Trap. Have you thought about that a little bit in your life? What that, what's that all about? Status. You know, we looked at, look at the definition of that particular word, and it means a relative social or professional standing of someone or something, that we have a, a level of standing. And in every community, in every walk of life, in every career, we see this being played out, that there, there are these levels. And, and people kind of move in and out of these levels of position and perceived status. But as we look a little closer, we ask the question, why would we even desire this? Why would that be something that seems to kind of get indoctrinated into all of society, into everything? See, status has to do with privilege, and privilege has benefits to it. It brings and allows us to be able to receive rewards and, and special privileges in a certain area of position or standing. Status is one of the most seductive elements inherent in a position. That we go into the position and we expect certain privilege. And if we're not careful, we can be seduced by it. So much so that it can be the thing that we're driving for. That we get up in the morning. That we think about throughout the day and we go bed at night. How can I get to this position? How can I get to this level of privilege? How can I allow others to see me in a certain light? See, those who are addicted to the expectation of preferential treatment because of their position or status has already been seduced by the magnetism of status. See, we get seduced by it. And before you know it, it's driving our actions, it's driving our thought process, it's driving our responses to others. 
You ever been in a situation and maybe somebody kind of looked at you up and down a little bit? And they were looking at maybe what you had on, maybe, you know, kind of doing the, the, the status check, where you come, who your people be. How many kids you got? And it can even creep in into the church realm. Sometimes pastors, if we're not careful, the first questions we'll ask is, how many people you have in your congregation? How big is your church? Where'd you go to school? What degrees do you have? And so we're judging and sizing people up in this manner and in this way. And we see that even in the very beginning being lived out with Lucifer. See, if we look and we glimpse at the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28, verse 17, it gives us a reflection of Lucifer being seduced by how beautiful and how bright he was. It says, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom. See, he had a level of wisdom. For the sake of your splendor, for the sake of your brightness. Because maybe some other angel looked at you and said, hey, man, you look pretty good. And he allowed his wisdom to be corrupted. He took his eyes off of God and God alone. And he thought himself to be equal with God. And so we ask ourselves the question today, who are the characters, are the people being discussed in this particular passage? The who is so very important for us to think about. And so I want to spend some time just kind of giving you a, a general description of the who or the people of this character so we can see a little bit deeper, so we can see a little bit more transpired than Ananias and Sapphira getting up one day and deciding they're going to cheat God. Because sometimes it doesn't happen just that easy that we just get up and we decide we're going to do this. Do I have a witness? When somebody say that sometimes you've done things that, that, that you didn't get up and say, I'm going to do this. There was a little leaven that leavened the whole loaf. There was a little moving closer to the line. And before you know it, we were over. We were seduced by it. So as we take a moment to look at Ananias and Sapphira, husband and wife, they were members of the early Christian church in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit had just came and, in, and infused at the day of Pentecost. Peter went out and he was preaching the word of God with the other disciples. They spoke in other languages, and there were many that heard in their own language, and they and they received the gospel, they received the word of God, and many were saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. And so we see that Ananias and Sapphira were members of this early Christian church. But we also see in this account in Scripture, it records that their sudden, there was a, their sudden death after they lied to the Holy Spirit about money. But really, was it about money? But we also see in this particular passage of Scripture, we see Peter, one of the apostles that were called by Jesus to be his disciple during his, his ministry and would be with Jesus 
before his crucifixion. And he would be in the upper room on the day of Pentecost and would be one who would preach about Jesus Christ and the gospel of salvation to these men in Judea and Jerusalem on that day. And so now Peter is a part of this story and we see that he speaks to Ananias and Sapphira and he says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? But see, we miss a couple of folks in this character and in this, in this passage or in this area of scripture that gives us a little deeper understanding in the backdrop of what's happening here. See, this is a familiar story. Maybe many of you have heard it before and you're like, Pastor, you preached on Ananias and Sapphira. We know that. We heard that story before. But if we look a little back in the book of Acts, the fourth chapter, verse 36 and 37. See, there was a man named Joseph. And the scriptures say in the book of Acts, the fourth chapter, verse 36 and 37, who by the apostles were surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. So let me take a moment, if, if you will, and kind of break this down to you. Because as we look at this passage here and we see that this man, Joseph, who uh, in, in some texts is also called Joseph, there was something that, that happened because of this man's character and because of how he conducted himself that afterwards, or at least after he came to be acquainted with the apostles and to be in their company, because of how his character and how he responded, they called him Barnabas. See, that wasn't his name. But they called him Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. See, that's, that's a key portion for us to hold on to because that word cons consolation means exhortation or to comfort that he was the son of exhortation. In other words, he lived it out before the people. One of the gifts he received when he received the Holy Spirit and by his, has God, how God had shaped him with all of his talents, his gifts and abilities, he was someone that exhorted others. He was someone that comforted others. He was someone that spoke into others' lives in a way that they, it was undeniable that it was God in him. And so much so that they said, man, this guy should be called Barnabas. Because of his excellent spiritual gifts and talents, he had at exhorting and how useful he was in comforting distressed minds. See, at this time, there was still a whole lot of stress going on. There was a, a culture shift that was occurring. They were leaving Judaism, and they were now coming into Christianity. And so many didn't like that. They were leaving mother and father. They were having to literally be separated from their family to accept the call of Christ. Anybody ever been there? 
where when you first told your family you loved Jesus and they looked at you like you were strange? And maybe they said something weird to you and you, and you needed to be comforted. You just needed to, to, to be reminded that if God's on your side, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And so Barnabas was that guy. He was the guy that would remind them of those things. So much so as we look in the book of Acts, the 11th chapter, verse 22 through 24, here's what it says. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. See, there was a work, the, the word of God was being sent out, and there were people that were getting saved, and there, were, there was need to continue to exalt and lift people up. So they sent Barnabas, who when he came, and had seen the grace of God, was glad, and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. You see that work that Barnabas was having? See, we look in the, uh, the Arabic version, it reads, who was of a, the apostles. So go back to that passage a little bit. Let me show you something else there. In the book of Acts, the fourth chapter, verse 36. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is in its being interpreted the son of consolation. See, that passage there also, when you look in the Arabic, it says, as if he was an apostle. See, they saw him, the work that he was doing, that it was just like the others. And so he was honored as if he was an apostle. And so we also know that, 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 that we see this reflection because Paul argues the point a little bit in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 5 and 6. Paul argues the point of doing the work of an apostle as he speaks of himself and Barnabas about the work that they're doing. He said, you know, this, this, this man here, he loves people. He loves the Lord. He's willing to go out and share the good news. He's willing to plant and help grow the work of God. And so there's these things that, are, that the people are hearing about Barnabas. Let's go a little farther. Let's look a little deeper. It also says in that same passage of Scripture, it uses the term a Levite. See, Barnabas was a Levite of the tribe of Levi and of a priestly lineage. So by nature of just being, not, of being a Levite, there was a certain level of status or recognition in the Jewish community. And so we see some connecting dots here. That Barnabas having a heart of exhortation, 
being considered to be an apostle, being a Levite of the priestly lineage. He does something here in the book of Acts, the fourth chapter, verse 37. Having land, sold it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so in and of itself, we would say that that's probably a big deal. But let's think a little bit about this. The, what we know about the, the Mosaic law and the ceremonial law is that Levites could, could neither inherit or sell land. It was given to them as a perpetual possession. That it wasn't to change that the land was to stay, you know, under the, the lineage of the Levites, but they couldn't do anything with it. This is what the ceremonial law said to them. Go to Leviticus 25, verse 34. We'll see this. In Leviticus 35, correction, chapter 25, verse 34, it says this, But the field of the suburbs of their cities may not be sold, for it is their perpetual possession. So as we look at this a little bit, here's a Levite. Here's a man that because of his works already is being highly esteemed. The Bible says to give honor to whom honors do. And so he's making a public action. public action by a highly regarded person already in the Christian church. And by making, in, in most accounts, he's making a very important statement here. He's saying the ceremonial law, all these things that's kept us bound up, that's kept us separated, that's kept us kind of in just a religious tradition, are not above the law of Christ the law of liberty, the law of love. And maybe this was some of that land. We don't know all the details. We don't know how he got this land. Maybe uh, it was his wife had, had given it to him. We don't know all the details. But we know for him to walk up and do this, to lay as a Levite, to sell this land and now give it to the church was a profound statement. And so guess who may have been seeing all of this? Ananias and Sapphira. And maybe they saw that, 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 that Barnabas was, was, was honored esteemly and that he was uh, respected and he was appreciated, and they won't wanted some of that. See, if we're not careful, we can take our eyes off of Christ. We can take our eyes off the Lord and we can put it on people. And we can look at what somebody else has or what somebody else may be doing. And we can get caught up in that trap of seeking and desiring what others look like and perceive to be. So we see a very real possibility that Ananias and Sapphira recognize how Barnabas' gift of giving this land was received. But what they missed is that the character makes the man 
not the man making the character. And let me explain that a little bit. Let me spend a little bit of time talking about that because that word character, if we look in our definition, there's actually three definitions of it, but I'm going to talk about two. The third definition that I'm not going to talk about is when we write letters, they're called characters, okay? So we're going to toss that one out. The second character is the quality of who we are, the quality of our actions, the quality of our moral compass. And are we doing those things that are of love, of, of a good heart? This is the character that we see in Barnabas. We see living out in Barnabas. The second character that I want to remind us of is the character in a story, the person playing a role. We may read a book and we'll see that there are several characters in there, and we may watch a movie and they're playing a role, but that's not truly who they are. They're playing a character. And so as we talk about these two, the first character the character of the quality that makes up the person. We see that Barnabas is living out the character of Christ. The character of Christ that he's placing the love of God and the love of others over the love of status and position or standing in his religious community. He's choosing to love God and to love his neighbor, to sacrifice and to give, to exhort them, to lift up. He has already given you the example of laying down his position and his status for what God is calling him to do. And so I'd ask you to take a moment to look at this a little bit. When we think about our position or our status, Christ has already given you a position as sons and daughters. At the moment you accept the Christ, you receive the greatest position of all times, that we are joint heirs with Christ, that we are a holy nation, that we are a royal priesthood, that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And so everything else pales in comparison to that. And if we're not careful, we can forget those things. And we can put our eyes on the things of this world. And so I'd ask you to turn with me to the book of Psalms, the 22nd chapter, verse 1. It says this, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Loving favor rather than silver and gold. See, from this verse, we see that a good name, a combination of reputation and character, certainly should outweigh riches and prominence and position and status. Conversely, a lack of either of these, having a reputation of good and a good character, can leave us in a state of moral and spiritual poverty, seeking self-worth over godly worth. See, I think the very first time that I, that I saw this being lived out was in my, with my grandmother. See, one of the things I realized after I got a little older and I, I, I ran up on one of my grandmother's uh, statements 
I saw that my grandmother never really made over $800 a month her entire life. My grandmother lived in a, in a, in a two-bedroom shack that should have been condemned long before it ever was. But I saw a lady and a woman of great stature. See, the world would have looked at her and they would have said, she's a nobody, she's nothing. She doesn't have much. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't have a big position. She's not of any worldly status. But I saw a lady that was rich because she always loved, always poured into myself and all of us kids. I saw her love her children with an undying love. I saw her desire for us to know the Lord, for us to trust him. I saw her speak wisdom into us almost on a daily basis. Whenever we went across, we always got a nugget from Grandma, from Mama Dear. I remember a time when Mama Dear used to always give me these, now I'm going to date myself a little bit, give me these matchbox cars. And he said, I saw some heads go up. These matchbox cars was what Philip 66 had. And uh, some of y'all remember Philip 66, right? Gas station. And the, and the way you would get these matchbox cars is as you got ga gas, they would give you stamps. And they would place, you would have to have a booklet to place these stamps in. And once you collected enough of these stamps and enough of these booklets, you would come in and get a matchbox car. My grandmother would always have a matchbox, matchbox car waiting for me. And she would gift me these cars. And she would share some wisdom with me. She would love on me. And she would say, guess what? I got a, another car for you. See, I never knew that my grandmother was licking those stamps, filling those books, and just waiting with anticipation to give it to me. I would tell you I was careless with those Matchbox cars. I loved them. I, I, I loved playing with them, but I would lose them like nobody's business. See, I didn't appreciate and know the wealth of what was going on and what my grandmother was doing at that time. See, she was just trying to get a moment, get an opportunity, get a minute with me to just love on me and share with me. And she did that not only with me, but with every single one of us. She would always buy for all of the kids the almost the exact same thing. She was never going to short any of us. And she had a lot of grandkids. She'd always have an opportunity. And I, I remember numerous times my grandmother putting $5 in my hand just so I'd have some money. And I'm like, how? Did she do that? See, if we're not careful, we can miss the riches around us. Being caught up in all the cares and the status and the things of this world and miss the true character. Let me not lose, lose my thought here. 
See this word name that we see being spoken in the book of Psalms. A good name is to be given rather than great riches. Loving favor rather than silver and gold. So that word name translates in the Hebrew shem, which designates something as a mark of memorial for that individual. It implies honor and authority and character. That that individual did something, conducted their lives in a way that will live on for all eternity. That it's a memorial to them. See, my grandmother, you know, she still lives on today. And me and many others. Because she knew her status was not in this world. But it was in a good character and a good heart and how she treated others. How she loved God and loved me and loved others. See, as we look at the King James Version, it translates that word name, it translates it into fame and famous and infamous, renowned. See, when we have a good name, we get all those things. See, we're famous, we're infamous, we're renowned in somebody's life. See, I can't get up here and say enough about my grandmother. But it's all because of Christ in her. That as we speak of others, we speak of Christ. As we allow their name to be spoken, we're, we're, we're proclaiming the name of Christ, that he is high and lifted up. That she couldn't do any of it if it wasn't for Christ on her side. That where she was unable, he was able. That he saw her through. See, I remember another thing of my grandmother. When we speak about this name. My grandmother always paid her bills, always wanted to have a, you know, to treat people right, to be honorable. One of her kids got a credit card in her name, racked that credit card up, and didn't pay the bills. And then at some point she got the bill or she got the notice saying that she owed all this. My grandmother was in her 80 plus. And I remember my grandmother sitting in a chair weeping. And she looked at me and she said, Jeff, I'm not mad at my kids for doing this. But I never wanted to leave having this, having treated people and having people think this is who I am. See, she just didn't write it off and chunk it off. Her character and her name meant something because she was representing her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But see, there's that other character that we need to look at. That he is a character. 
that if we're not careful, we can be just like Ananias and Sapphira. We can put on a show. We can act. We can fake it until we make it. Because reality, faking it don't make it. You're going to get caught. It's going to come up. Everything that's done in the dark shall come to light. And so we see in the scriptures it says, But a certain man named Ananias, which Sapphira his wife, sold a possession. And so we have the understanding, or we, we, we glim from the scriptures, that after they saw the great generosity of Barnabas, and how well he was, rep- he was respected, that Ananias and Sapphira decided that they wanted to receive the same. So he went and sold it. But verse 2 tells us something. It shows, it says, he kept back part of the proceeds. See, they sold the possession. They gave only a portion to the church while implying that they sacrificially gave it all to the church. Why do we know that? See, look a little bit at that word, kept back. In the ancient Greek word for kept back is nosphosum he. Now, I probably didn't say it right, but y'all going to forgive me on that, right? Which means to misappropriate. To set apart or separate for oneself. To embezzle, withdraw covertly and inappropriate and appropriate to one's own use. See, that's what that word in the Greek, the understanding we get. It's written there to say that he made a statement to the disciples that he was going to give them all that he sold the land for. And he misrepresented. See, it wasn't the fact that he didn't give enough wasn't the fact, because it was his to give. Peter said it. Peter said it was yours. You didn't have to give any of it. You could also have said, I'm going to sell it and only give a portion. But that's not what he did. He misrepresented. He said he was going to give it all. But he kept back. See, the same word is also used in Achan's theft in Israel in Joshua, the seventh chapter, verse 20 and 21. Here's what it reads. Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels, of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and took them. And there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So Achan took what didn't belong to him. What he had been told to wait on the Lord, to do what God was telling you to do. He took it He hid it in the story of Ananias in the book of Acts. It's very similar to this story of Achan in the book of Joshua. 
There's a misrepresentation. There's a thieving going on. And in both accounts, it ends with the result of their physical death. Sounds pretty harsh, huh? And so we ask the question, why? The first part that really answers that question for us or, or helps us to understand a little bit better is that this was a physical death, but there has some dying had already occurred in the spirit. That this was just what we were able to see outwardly, what had happened inwardly. It's so important to understand our spiritual being is so much greater than our natural. Look with me in James, the first chapter, verse 15, it says this. Then when lust have deceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. There's a dying that occurs. Because of sin, the seduction of this world that leads to death. See, God doesn't desire that for any of us. But he understands that there's a seduction waiting and seeking and desiring to devour. That seduction of this world leads to death. In both narratives, we see Achan, and we see Ananias. And there's an act of deceit that interrupts the victorious progress of the people of God with Achan. The people were warring. They were needing to be delivered by the Lord. The Babylonians were coming against him. And because of Achan's sin, they didn't get the victory. They were running from the Babylonians. And with Ananias, God had done a great victory. He had sent the Holy Spirit. The church of God was moving. And because of Ananias and Sapphira, there was a dampening effect of the work that God was doing in that church, in that community. See, in both narratives, an act of deceit interrupts the victorious progress of the people of God. He's saying that can happen with us. As God is growing us and God is moving us individually and corporately as a church, if we're not careful, if we're not watchful, if we're not discerning and seeking the Lord in all things that can creep up into the body of believers. And before you know it, we're looking at others instead of keeping our eyes fixed on him who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And so that was a, a dampening of the victory. God had just sent the Holy Spirit. And 
now Ananias and Sapphira were going to lie and be deceptive to the Holy Spirit of God. And God would have none of it. It sounds harsh and it sounds dramatic. But God's doing a move. Back in their time and our time too. That we would trust him with our whole heart. That we would lean upon him. That we wouldn't get caught up in the cares and the affairs of this world. But we would trust him and lean upon his unchanging hand. And let him direct our path. See, the Holy Spirit wants to help us recognize our motives and correct them. Because sometimes we don't have the right motives, saints. I've been there. And, there's, and, and, and to be honest, there's times I'm still there. But the God has sent the Holy Spirit to tap us on the shoulder, to prick our heart and say, uh-uh, don't let it be you. Don't be that guy. Don't be that lady. God is doing so much. Let him do a great work in you. See, I remember that as I'm, as I'm sitting. Now I'm getting even more transparent a little bit. One of the things that we have in the military is we get evaluations all the time. Every year, at a minimum, we get an evaluation. And one of the biggest things that you want to do as a military officer is you want to command. That's where it's at. You want to command. You want to command companies. You want to command battalions. You want to command brigades. You know. And as you go up, your status increases. Your privilege, your ability and so I remember a time after my first company command, I'm sitting in the office and my brigade commander comes in that's about to give me my evaluation. He tells me these things. He, he tells me several of the things that I've done well and all the things that, you know, we achieved over the year. And then he stops and he looks at me. And he says, Jeff, you will never become a battalion commander. And my, I just sink. My heart sinks. And I look at him. I'm like, what are you talking about? You all have told me for years this is where it's at. This is what it's supposed to be. And I said to him, I said, why would you say that, sir? And he looked at me and he said, Jeff, because you care too much. You see, when I first heard that, I immediately went to the status and I was like, wait a minute. What are you saying? Because I care too much? And I left there and, 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 and I, I felt this anger inside. And so for the next couple of years, I tried to change. I became militant. I became hard. I spoke people in a way that directed authority. And the whole time I was playing a role. 
and not allowing the character of God to prevail. I got to a point that I couldn't live within myself anymore like that. And I said, God called me. God equipped me. And this is who God fashioned and shaped me to be. And I'm going to live it out. See, it took me a minute to get to the point of realizing that he was speaking about my good name and not about my status. He was saying something of great honor to me, and I took it in as a negative. See, God wants you to know that you are his chosen vessels. He loves you so much. He's equipped and fashioned you for a divine purpose. And it's not to chase the status of the world, but it's to live with Christ in you. And that your name will be infamous in the heavens. That your name will be infamous in the lives and the hearts of others. And that God will say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not because of the rank you have or the, the letters in your name, but because you've chosen to trust him, to follow him, to not get caught up in the status trap, but to trust in a living God and watch him do a work in you. Watch him transform your life. Watch him take a little and make it out of much. Watch him... Take a little old lady with only $800 a month and change the whole world because he's able. And when we, where we're unable, he's more than we could ever think or imagine. And I guarantee you, if you allow Christ in you to produce that good name out of you, it'll be infamous. It'll be world-changing. And the world won't understand it. But here's what we need to know. The world didn't give it to you, and the world can't take it away.